It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. I'm Darren Hefty, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and I'm super, super excited about it. Uh, it's uh, it's a great day today. I'm really looking forward to a lot of things going on. First of all, it's my wife's birthday. Happy birthday, Shelly. Uh, I, I know she's pumped about having another birthday today and, and getting, to, uh, getting to celebrate a little bit tonight. Uh, also excited because we're about ready to cut silage on our farm, hoping to be going by Monday or Tuesday next week. And that's a, that's a really cool thing, too, because we always get excited about any kind of harvest to see, well, what's our real report card? I mean, we've been doing plant tissue tests and that stuff through the years, so we kind of have an idea of, hey, are we doing the best we can with what we've got for moisture and so forth, but... Really excited to see how that tonnage comes out, what yield estimates are, those kinds of things. Because I'll be honest, for as little rain as we've had, it looks way better than than what it should. So we're very thankful for that. Um, and then, you know, just thinking about all the stuff that that's coming up with that, I'm really excited to get our cover crop seeded, which we hope to be chasing those silage cutters right out of the field with um, seeding some oats for a cover crop and we've had good luck with that in the past. Really looking forward to seeing how that does. We're going to change our strategy just a little bit with that. Of course, always doing some tweaks. Uh, and then we've got a lot of soil samples to pull and that'll be the fun thing about getting silage harvest done this early. Now it's still really nice out there to be out pulling soil samples and building data. And then speaking of data, one cool thing that we're doing uh, with John Deere is working with their harvest lab so we can get kind of like a, a yield map for silage along with uh, a few of the quality traits too of that silage as we're going across the field. So getting constant readings of, hey, what's our tonnage? Uh, what kind of nutritional content have we got? Uh, that's really cool stuff. And we're looking forward to seeing how those things turn out and how that matches up to our fertility, just like we're looking at how our yields match up to fertility on our farm. Always trying to learn and always trying to do things better. I will say this, one of the things that I am uh, happy with this year in our silage corn, where we put Zyway fungicide down and we planted early, it looks great. It really does. We've got green plants almost top to bottom, even through the dry weather. I mean, some of the light sandy spots, yeah, they're they're showing a little bit of wear. But for the most part, stuff's green top to bottom, and yet we've got an ear that's drying down. So that's pretty exciting. That's what we would like to have in grain production, but also what we'd like to have in silage production too. So really curious to see what our strips look like on that and, and what kind of differences we have in terms of tonnage and also yield to to see what our return on investment is. But just comparing to uh, to others who weren't doing those practices, uh, it, it looks like that's going to pay pretty well for us, this, for us this year. And, you know, you think about all the other things that are that are going on uh, this time of year. There's just a lot of fun. We got, got an exciting football game coming up for my alma mater this weekend against a, a big-time school. So really excited about that. And, and, of course, the kids are back in school and all those things happening too. So, yeah, it just seems like this super, super busy time of the year. It's kind of fun to get a Farmer Friday show to talk with all of you. What's happening on your farm? Our phone lines are going to be open at 844 844- 
844-AGB. I should say they are open. 844-442-4743. So you can call in, talk about what's going on in your farm. If you're doing some harvest, if you're doing some soil sampling, if you're uh, just anxiously awaiting a harvest that's a month or more away, whatever that may be, we, we would love to hear uh, what you want to talk about. You can also email us if you've got agronomic questions, radio at agphd.com. And I got a box full of those. There's no way I'm going to get through all of them today, but we'll, we'll maybe make a run at that here a little bit later in the show too. So it's always learning on our farm. So I talked a little bit about the corn. The soybeans are also kind of an interesting thing this year. And you, you hear it just time and time again on this show that especially Brian is worried about white mold in our soybeans. And I am too. I'm concerned about that. And I've got a couple of fields of mine that I told Brian already, I'm going corn on those fields again next year. I, I don't, it hasn't been long enough for me. I need to rotate away for, for a few years so I can reduce my white mold risk. But Brian's always talking about that. And, and we were dry enough this year that white mold just never became a problem for us. But I'll say this, we also invested up front trying to make sure that it didn't turn out to be a problem. So we went out with some cobra through the low spots and valleys and historical white mold problem areas because white mold can just wipe you out. I mean, it could take 100% of the yield. So it's worth investing a few extra dollars. And you may say, oh, come on, Darren, you guys knew it wasn't raining and it was pretty dry. Yeah, but that can change overnight, literally. Uh, it can change really, really fast. So if you get behind the eight ball with white mold, you just can never catch up. And the way we look at it a lot too is let's just say we have white mold one in 10 years, which honestly it happens more often than that. But say it was even one in 10 years that it took 80 bushel yields to zero and say beans were $10 on average. Well, that's 800 bucks. So on 10 years, can we spend less than $80 an acre stopping white mold? Yep, we sure can. We can do it a lot cheaper than that. So we're going to do that. And we're going to put some money into making sure those spots in the field don't have a problem. And that's the other side of this. It's spots in fields. It's not the whole field. It's typically lower areas um, where that soil is going to stay wet longer and just be conducive to mushrooms growing out in the field and ultimately a thick canopy with mold developing underneath. So you got to think about those things on your farm. If it's something that is going to hit you everywhere, that's a little different management decision than, you know what, I've just got this happening in small patches on my farm. Yeah, you can spend a lot more per acre on those patches because when you divide it out across the whole farm and all the acres, it's really not that big an expense. All right, once again, it is Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can email us as well, radio at agphd.com with your agronomic questions. Or if you just want to talk about what you're working on, I see a lot of people in our area getting their combines ready and getting their grain bins ready. Busy time of year, and that's going to make it a fun Farmer Friday show. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. If we only had 20 words to talk about Ag Biome, we would say we are agricultural innovators focused on unlocking the power of the microbial world to deliver unique, effective crop protection solutions. If we only had five words, we'd say learn more at agbiome.com. 
Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact Emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. back uh, there you go got it got to press the button that says on that makes the microphone work always helps i have darren hefty uh, on ag phd radio here we're broadcasting from the morton studio on a farmer friday and if you've never listened to our show before farmer friday is basically just wide open we don't have a main topic that we're discussing or anything like that so we keep our phone lines open throughout the show and we if you call in we'll get you on the show we, we have yet to have somebody call in that we couldn't get on the show and if you've got a question you can also just email us if you're more comfortable with that radio at agphd.com and of course along the way we get to talk to some familiar voices like tony wendler with farm shop mfg tony how you doing today I am excellent, Darren. How are you? Good, good. So where are you at today? I am just back from the Farm Progress show, and I got a, I got a quick story before going on to sure. some other things. I had a young guy come up to me down at the Farm Progress show, and uh, he walks up, and uh, he's, you're Tony. I recognize your voice. So I want to compliment you, Darren, on how you're projecting my on-air persona, but here's how it went from there. He comes out to me and says, I thought you were younger and more buff. <laughs> and it just kind of leaves, it leaves me in a position like I used to be. <laughs> so what can you say to that? You're just kind of, okay, that's, there's no way for me to get out of this hole right now. Nope, nope. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's it is interesting though, Tony. I mean, people people uh, definitely get their impression of okay. Well, I think Tony would be uh, like this or that, and 
hopefully it's all just pleasant and uh, they're like, wow, Tony's even smarter than he sounded on the radio because honestly, Tony, you do a lot of cool stuff here and just talking through so comfortably and so easily about getting things set up with, hey, you need this kind of humidity, this kind of temperature and and I love it because people are nervous about that all the time of, man, I don't know if I'm going to get this just right and and you just give us a, a, a lot of comfort knowing, all right, Tony knows how to do this stuff and, and he makes it sound like it's not that hard. I've actually far progressed. And then this morning, the phone, I had a, a multiple topics, just like you say, people don't know where to go to get information. And, uh, you know, I share some resources where I learn things from and, uh, it's, uh, people are looking for resources. I tell you the one I threw out, uh, years ago, I learned from, uh, got a lot of information from Midwest planning service. And uh, the uh, the one guy I was talking to pulled it up, and it's available online. There's a lot of information there. It sets a uh, consortium of the land-grant colleges' uh, extension programs. Their data is a, a pooling of a lot of information there. And I always, when I was younger, I thought it was a really powerful thing to, to kind of hone in on. So... Sure, sure. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of information out there, and to find uh, non-biased sources is very, very helpful. That that uh, you can learn a lot, and it's just a matter of going through it and doing the work. Um, hey, speaking of that, I, I was talking to a friend uh, across the border in Iowa who's a crop consultant, and and he was making comment that we we just had with planting conditions we had this year, we had a lot of uneven planting depths, we had some furrows that weren't closed, we just had a lot of issues with planting planters. And he said, I think there's going to be some guys surprised in areas of their fields this fall when they get out there and realize the yield uh, that they're getting in some parts of the field, they're not getting in others. And it could have been fixed had they done a few things different with the planter. I know you watch planter performance pretty closely uh, and getting that furrow closed and getting good seed to soil contacts, a big deal to you. So what did you see this year, Tony? I've had the same conversations you've had talking with a lot of people from um, wet conditions, really experiencing that variabilities in the fields associated with uh, what's taking place there, that they didn't close the furrows, uh, didn't have the right down pressure set. And it is, it is so important that that closing wheel system is the last thing to impact your crop uh, as you're setting it into the ground. And it is so important to be going back there and looking at that and digging and making sure you're closing the uh, closing the furrows, getting that seed to soil contact. In um, one of the things that we've really discovered in recent years is the importance of squeezing that uh, seed zone and the seed to the bottom of the furrow for wicking moisture in the dry areas. And it's always been in the uh, in the wet areas. We've got to totally destroy that sidewall and squeeze the air out of there. And that uh, sometimes that mud and a lot of closing wheel systems have a hard time, and I shouldn't say mud, moisture ground. Uh, the uh, But it's hard to squeeze some of that moisture ground and get all the air squeezed out of there. And exactly like you're talking, that uh, there are so many people that have experienced issues with that. And I've had conversations with uh, people in there saying, before next year, they're going to be talking again, and they're going to do something different because what occurred this year was disappointing, and a lot of farmers are recognizing it already that uh, it they should have uh, been looking closer behind the planter. They should have gotten off their seats 
and uh, look more or it like you guys do and have a uh the master planter going back behind and, and watching what's taking place on all the rows behind every planter you know i this is funny too i, I was actually just talking to my stepmom about this uh same thing today which you'd say what uh why, why are you talking to her about this she's curious about this too and and we were just talking about the planters today you look at 24 row 30 inch planters they're 60 feet wide and when you get out of the tractor on the left side of that planter, are you going to walk all the way over 60 feet and dig that that row up too to make sure it's right? Or are you going to start with the first few rows on the left side? And when I say that to guys, they're like, um, yeah, I do start on the left side or maybe I make it to the middle uh, and if I get a couple of rows that I'm really curious about. But not many guys say, yeah, I go all 24 rows all the way across and dig. And, and maybe you don't have to do it every single time, but maybe at least rotate what rows you're looking at out there. So uh, over a, a couple, two or three inspections, you get every single one of them done. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it, like you say, it, it's an effort to go around and, you know, Hey, maybe sometimes you just, uh, you don't walk behind, uh, you just go straight across and keep walking, uh, uh, you know, on the, the previous round and, uh, take a look at what's going on the whole pass without the equipment in the way, and then, uh, start digging over 60 feet away. Uh, there's nothing wrong with getting that perspective view from just being away from the equipment a little bit and, and looking over there too. You bet. Absolutely. I, yeah. It, it's, uh, my equipment's not quite that big, so I don't have to walk as far, but no, it's, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of guys, you know, and these, you know, you start looking at 36 row and I looked down oh, there yeah. at the uh, progress show and there's a 48 row. Wow. That's a, that's a little jog around the end of that. Yeah. And I think, you know, as we get autonomous vehicles, uh, driving these things we get tractors that you don't have to be in the cab i think it's going to be so fun to be able to be out in that field and just be digging and not have to worry about some of the other things and and being able to check even more without feeling like ah every hour i spend digging and checking is an hour that i wasn't planting well now maybe you'll be able to do both of those pretty soon yeah that's that is going to be a real game changer and uh you know, I've I've thought about this equipment. You fuel it up, keep the hoppers full. They go 24 hours a day. You just got to have somebody out there at night. And uh, same thing, get your pickup or get lights out there and, and be looking to make sure it's still doing right. Uh, don't don't wake up in the morning and find out that you had uh, a whole field planted wrong. Yeah, so yeah, no kidding. It's very costly. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tony, the, uh, uh, I'm glad glad you had a good uh, good experience over at Farm Progress, and uh, now get back to the work of uh, grain bin management. I know those questions are coming. We're we're about up against a break here, but uh, I, I wish you good luck. I know you got a lot of stuff yet to go this year. You you've gotten a ton of guys set up with grain bin monitors and uh, bin fan controls and those types of things. We talk about that a lot, so we'll have to chat about that next time we get together. One last quick thing, we're running specials on both closing wheels and grain bin monitors uh, here for the first part of September, a real quick uh, discount on things. So people go to the website, they're going to find some really good prices. We've never discounted germinator wheels before. We got a bunch made this summer, and we're off for an early season. Well, this is your shot. It's so. farmshopmfg.com, and of course, uh, you can visit with Tony Wendler, too, if you want to talk to an expert. Thanks, Tony. We really appreciate having you on. Have a safe and happy Labor Day weekend. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Early does it. Strong early season defenses against seedling insects and soil diseases are key to a successful season. The leader in Inferro Solutions, FMC, helps protect your fields from the start with a growing portfolio of Inferro innovations. You can't predict the future, but you can plant for it. Visit your FMC retailer or inferro.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spend spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today on a Farmer Friday, taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head out to California. Got Steve on with us right now. Steve, how are you doing today? Doing good, doing good. So what are you working on this week? Got a heat wave here we're waiting for. Well, uh... Trying to stay cool. We got a heat wave started here uh, yesterday, and supposed to go all the way till next Friday, up, upwards of 113 degrees. But we're uh, going to start shaking uh, the last of our almonds uh, tomorrow. Pollen or the non-prel is going off. The pollinators are coming off now, and then and then uh, we got some hay down up north, and uh, we'll be trying to 
finish up the hand up there in this uh, next couple of weeks. All right, talk to us a little about the almond process. And I've had a chance to be out there and, and see how this all happens, and it was much, much different than harvesting corn and soybeans that I'm used to on our farm. What's the process with almonds? Uh, how do you know they're ready? What are you looking for? And then and then how do you get them off the trees? Well, I'm, I'm kind of, this is my <clears throat> our fourth leaf, so I'm kind of a new almond guy. But what happens here is that uh, uh, the almonds will start uh, to... Uh, the hull will start, we'll have hull split and we'll spray before that. And then, uh, we'll wait for the, the hulls to split and, and dry down a little bit. And then we'll have a shaker come in and they'll shake it. And they'll sit on the ground for a day or two. And then, uh, the sweeper will come in and put them in a windrow and they sit there and, uh, we get a harvester that comes in after that a couple of days later and they pick them up, uh, from the rows, pretty dirty, dusty, uh, process. And they put them in the carts, gets in the, top of the extra tall bottom hoppers and off they go to market and then like the pollinators they come off about three weeks after your your uh your main variety depending on what you have so pretty different yeah yeah it's a different crop thinking of shaking a whole tree to get all the things off it's it's really kind of a cool process and when when you go to market how do you get paid for almonds is there a quality standard is it just strictly tonnage uh or how, how do they do that well, there's, there's, I mean, tonnage obviously is a great thing, but there's a sizing chart and, uh, their numbers are like 1820s or 2022s or 2224s. And so the, the bigger the almond, uh, the more they're worth. And then in shell, which means that like the non-frails, they won't shake, uh, they won't take the meats out. So those are usually at a premium because those are unblemished meats. And then, uh, after that, it's just, uh, it basically everything else is hauled. So that the meats are out, then it's just a, a sizing issue after that. Okay, yeah, it's very interesting. I, I definitely enjoy eating the product, and and it's kind of neat just hearing all the different ways that it goes in. And and certainly, if you're right there in California, you've got some opportunities with farmer markets and those kind of things too. So yeah, pretty pretty neat crop. Now you mentioned the hay, and I'm thinking heat wave and 113 degrees. That sounds like when we used to bale hay when I was a kid. <laughs> There'd be some days like that that were pretty tough. Uh, so what kind of bales do you make out there? Are they are they round? bales are they big squares what what do you do well uh my ranch is about oh four and a half hours north out of uh, macarthur california and we basically put up mostly uh horse hay up there so we're we're three string bales they weigh about 95 pounds we use like a 1843s baler so it's kind of a chambered baler and uh, that's how we we put up everything in a small bale and then we bring it down here to our yard and we sell it uh, to horse people's alfalfa uh, orchard alfalfa mix, uh, orchard grass straight, you know, so, uh, up North, a pretty premium area to put up hay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when you think about that, that, uh, that mix that you do, uh, what's the biggest challenge to grow in the hay? Is it, is it weed control? Is it just flat? You got to get enough rain or, uh, is there a fertility challenge? Is what makes it tough? Well, uh, I think the water makes it tough. Uh, we're we're off the river up there, but man, the river's pretty hard or in a second year drought. So the water issue from California from end to end is a real, real challenge. But oh, the alfalfa, you know, since we we went with the Roundup Ready, that takes care of a lot of problems. Uh, 
you know, it needs water and, and sunshine. And so the heat's kind of been good for it. Our grasses are cool season grasses, so the heat hasn't been as good. But the challenges in, in grass is trying to keep out, you know, your your foxtails and stuff. But uh, it's also grass takes a lot of uh, a lot of fertilizer, so uh, it's kind of been tough when you when you're you're challenged on water, how much fertilizer you can put in because you're really not sure, you know, if you're going to get it all back with the with the cost of, of fertilizer this year compared to what it was last year. Yeah, it's never easy, and and uh, it's certainly a lot of work. And then with the heat wave coming too, it's uh, makes it a challenging time. 113 degrees is is not just warm; that's that's dangerously hot. And uh, Steve, we wish you good luck with all that. Thank you so much. Enjoyed visiting with you today. All right. Well, you guys have a great day. Yep, you as well. Yeah, Labor Day weekend coming on. I know there's a lot of a lot of projects going on out there, and um, we've got uh, a question that came in here from Gary, and he said, "I got a couple of questions on uh, yard drainage fertility problem. I've got uh, two opposite sides of our family farm with yard waste problems. Over the years, we've had excess liquid manure that ran out into a couple of fields. Now I've pattern tiled at 60 foot and retiled at 30 foot to try to help with excess moisture. Still, our soil is." tight and hard and end up with little to no crop in those areas. So I've got a couple of soil samples that I'm sending in um, and just curious what you would think. I'm wondering if you would, if you would recommend putting on a thousand pounds per acre of gypsum uh, on the affected areas to try to help with the problems. I'm located in Northeast Iowa. All right. So looking at uh, a few different things here, uh, sodium levels, not high. Uh, I don't see a soluble salt level, though. Just kind of curious what that was going to be. Uh, pH levels. We've got buffer pH. But it's tricky to find. Okay, there we go. 6.8 to 7.2. So pH is, is not far off uh, with our phosphorus levels very high, as you would imagine, in a uh, overly manured situation. And then, wow, yeah, I see what you're talking about here, Gary, where you've got potassium parts per million around 500 <laughs> where you've had the manure and uh, around 200 where you haven't. So that is kind of interesting. Yeah. So with the gypsum, your calcium base saturation is already up in the 80% range in those areas. I don't know if adding more calcium is going to be the big thing, but your sulfur is really low. So sulfur can definitely be part of the help here. And one of the things that we see with sulfur is getting excess salts out of the ground. If you've got something that's in excess that will attach to uh, a sulfate molecule, if you've got good drainage, like you say, you've got some, some decent drainage out there, we can maybe move those things through the soil. So I see your CEC anywhere from 13 up to 21. So it's it's a medium textured soil, not super heavy. Yeah, I, I think we should be able to move it. I don't know if gypsum would be my thing, though, just because we've got so much calcium. So a lot of times, um, Gary, we hear about gypsum being able to help with lots of things, and it is a good product. We do use some gypsum on our farm, too. But we look at it from a fertility standpoint of, all right, how much calcium is in there, how much sulfate is in there, and what do I really need as I'm growing this crop? The sulfate can definitely be used by the crop, and your sulfur levels are low. So I don't suspect you've got a massive drainage issue. I think you've got that that going with your tile. So I think we can use this excess sulfate uh, and try and move things through. But my product that I'd be looking at would be ammonium sulfate, getting some more sulfur out there perhaps. Or uh, even if you'd like, you could do some elemental sulfur. Your pH is 6 
6.8 to 7.2, so if we lowered that pH just slightly, that wouldn't be a bad thing either. So to me, I'd be looking at using some ammonium sulfate and potentially even some elemental sulfur to try to help rather than doing the gypsum since we've got that base saturation of calcium is so high. And then look at your parts per million on calcium. It's uh, 2,300 to 3,400, depending on where you're at and, and how heavy that ground is. So we've got a pretty high percentage of calcium out there. So to me, I would, I would avoid that. I would just run with uh, ammonium sulfate. That would also fill your nitrogen need in those areas. Or I would run with elemental sulfur or a combination thereof. Hey, thanks, Gary. We really appreciate the question. Good luck with your, your challenge there. Sounds like you're on the right track, though, uh, with what you're doing with that tiling and, and just improving some drainage issues out there as well. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. When it comes to your tillage equipment, stop compromising and start doing more in one pass. New from McFarlane Ag, the Insight 5200 with an independent blade configuration lets you get more done in less time. Ideal for rocky or sticky soil, the 5200 has two sets of independently mounted blades adjustable up to 12 degrees, a unique chopping reel, and five different finishing attachments, giving you the perfect seedbed. Learn more about the Insight 5200 by visiting McFarlaneAg.com today. AgPHD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPHD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPHD Insider at agphdinsider.com. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zeopro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. 
with efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today on a Farmer Friday. I'm taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, let's head to the phone lines here. We've got uh, our friend Matt Swanson out in western Illinois. And Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine, Darren. How are you? Good, good. Sounds like you're busy working today. What are you working on? Well, we're working on trying to get some... Uh FMCA and DOT stuff and things like that. So, oh, the fun stuff. <laughs> lots of yeah, lots of fun things to do today. So, Yvette, so what does corn look like in Western Illinois? Have you been in that area that's been catching the rains? Uh, we have been in the area that's not been catching the rains. Oh shoot, shoot! So how are you hanging so, on? What are you seeing out there? Well, actually, I was talking to a friend of mine on the way. Uh, driving around the, this afternoon and i said you know the thing that jumps out to me the most is how uh inconsistent and technicolored it is we got all kinds of colors all in the same fields within 15 feet sometimes so got some potassium deficiencies some nitrogen deficiencies some stuff that's just dead some stuff that's still green it's very inconsistent in places how about the tar spot issue have you been affected by that a lot and what does this year look like so last year uh, we had it really bad in this area, um, and I've got a few fields on the very northwest or northeast, excuse me, side of the operation that that have got a, a decent amount of it, but um, we have not really had the moisture uh, <laughs> to have any kind of disease problems, you know, for the most part. So, yeah, do you see differences? I know you do a lot of trail work on your farm, and one thing that we've noticed on some of these dryers, if it's moderately dry, we can still see a difference in crop health where we use fungicides and, and intensive management. Uh, when you're on the extreme side, like you say, there's spots that are just going to die out there no matter what you do. But uh, are, are you noticing, like, any of your treatments showing up this year that you'd say, you know what, there are a few things here that, that I'm picking up that really helped even through the drought? So we're we're – I'd say the thing that the most positive, the most positive thing I've noticed is um, we actually had some seed. We planted some seed production fields and then we moved to another field with the same soybean variety, just without the seed production seed treatment on it. And uh, I was actually spraying and I was like, gosh, what is that crazy line that I see kind of unexpectedly in the middle of this field? And so I started digging through the maps and it was actually um, the only difference, same lot number, just different seed treatment. And, uh, so that was, that was an interesting, uh, interesting comparison and that, that the difference in treatment is only about $7. So if there's really any, any difference in yield, then uh, kind of cover that cost, but it was very stark and kind of surprising to be honest. So. Absolutely. So what's the game plan that is harvest going to come a lot sooner? I'm guessing if you're super dry, I say we'll see, uh, we'll probably see some guys start rolling maybe not next week, but the week after for sure. Um, I would say at that point, we'll probably be at least starting to desiccate some soybeans. So, um, if we're not, we won't be ready to cut them, but we may be able to start desiccating either in the next week or the first of the week after. So, Hey, talk about that desiccation for just a minute. I know that's something that you've just picked up here the last couple of years, correct? 
Yeah, so that's uh, something my you know friends in Arkansas have been doing for a while, and then kind of spread around to my friend group around the country, and uh, and we do it in Arkansas as well. Um, but in Illinois, uh, that I'm aware of, there's essentially no one doing it. But we think we can even out our maturity a little bit, and and probably pick up some some harvest some good harvest days as, at the beginning of the year, as opposed to some poorer ones at the end of the year. Yeah, we always talk about that too. It's not about um, the first days of harvest as much as it is if we can shave off some days on the back end because <laughs> we know we're going to run into some weather along the way. That's that's always a good way to do it. And hey, it's a lot more fun working on equipment when it's still warm and it's still uh, the conditions are good. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, I don't know anybody that likes to work on soybean equipment when it's 95 degrees out. But the alternative is taking days and days to get fields done because of being able to run for an hour or two while waiting for it to dry out. So uh, we'll take the, uh, I guess we'll take the 95 if I have to choose. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully you get pleasantly surprised out there this year, Matt, and and there's a little more out there than what you think, but, uh, and, and hope you catch some rain here coming up before too long too. Yeah, well, uh, surely we'll catch something or we won't, I guess, but either way it's coming. So you bet. Well, Matt, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today and good luck to you as you head into harvest. Uh, You too, Darren. Let's head down to uh, Georgia. Got Taylor in right now who just sent in some soil tests. Uh, Taylor, this is going to be fun because I haven't got to dig through them yet, so you'll have to tell me a little bit about uh, what I should be looking for here. And Janelle, uh, if Brian wanted to jump in, this would be a good time to. How are you doing, Taylor? Oh, doing pretty good. How about y'all? You know, we are doing well. We are doing well. All right, so what are you thinking on these fields? Is this multiple fields here or is this... No, so this is one field. This is a field that I just picked up this spring. Um, was able to get a couple cuts off of it and started to notice um, on this third cut, the Bermuda just started looking real sick, real yellow. And the plan was to soil test this fall and then kind of go from there. But uh, with the way things were looking, I just I wanted to go ahead and know what I was looking at. And then when I pulled the test, obviously the pH is, uh, that's probably the lowest that I have seen in a field. Now I've seen some that came out of, you know, maybe clear cut, come out of woods, be that low. But either way, so I got, I got an issue with pH and um, also. So that you know, pH, that pH, just let me clarify low. here, uh, Taylor, that pH is in the 4.9 to 5.0 range. So yep, very Correct. low pH. I see potassium looks to be. Uh, in that really low area too, which uh, again, when you pick up new ground, that's not super surprising, but uh, it's it's really low. So I'm I'm betting that's yeah. probably an yeah, extreme. Yeah, I think this field's been mined uh, for a couple of years. I think the guy was mainly just feeding cows um, that had the field. So so anyway, and then I also sent in an ash sample, uh, something that an amendment that I can put out there, and I just kind of wanted to see if you guys could take a look at it and uh, maybe give me your opinion and see what you thought. All right, so the ash would be used for, let's see, I'm trying to see where that's at. I wonder if that's this. Sorry, one. it's a it's a separate document. So the ash has got a good bit of calcium in it, and it also, um, I think it's got somewhere around 60 pounds of, uh, you know, potassium per ton. So I was thinking about, you know, maybe putting three, four tons per acre of that ash. I don't, I don't know if you've had time to, okay. to oh, take I a see. look at it. I see now. It says it's got uh, 62 pounds of K2O potassium per ton and 15 pounds of P2O5 phosphate. 
Uh, and just looking down, it's got some calcium in it, which it looks like you could use some calcium too. And yeah, yeah, that looks like that could be a, a decent source of, of some nutrition for your crop too. All right. Yeah. I was just mainly asking, I guess about that. And then with OCEs, so with the CECs being pretty low, um, you know, I, I don't know if you think that ash, I guess how long it's going to take, cause I'm not going to be able to work it in. I'm just going to have to lay it on top or that would be the plan and just kind of, like I said, I guess, see what, see what y'all thought. How much, how much of that ash are they recommending you use Taylor? Well, I didn't actually get a recommendation on the ash. Um, I, I just talked to the, to the, to the guy that, that can sell it to me. He actually did not see my soil test. Now I know they're asking for, um, about two tons per acre of lime. So I didn't know, uh, I, I guess what the, what the, you know, different. I mean, obviously, I know their difference, but how, how those would compare? If you had, if you guys had any idea. Okay, so Brian, just for your recommend or for your information on the ash, it's got about 150 pounds of calcium per ton, uh, and 60 pounds of potassium. Yeah, and, right, and so so here's the thing. I just say we've got to also have the lime. This can be in addition to it, and this can help your calcium build your base saturation percentage and stuff but it's not going to change your pH to the degree uh, that that lime is because you're going to get a lot more calcium and it's calcium carbonate. And so I, I, we've got to get that pH addressed because as soon as I heard woods, I'm like, Oh, low pH. And sure enough, when I hear in the low or in the upper fours to five, we had some of the same situation on our farm, got the pH up, yields went up. It was great. And it's good that you're getting some other nutrients in that ash it's just, you know, we don't want to go get carried away with it, but using some would probably be just fine. Yeah, so get the get the lime out there. We've got a CEC of about five, so don't overdo the lime, but if the recommendation's a couple of ton, that, that seems to make some sense. Hey, Taylor, thanks for the question, and, and good luck on that new ground. I really appreciate hearing, the, hearing about it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay, Veltima fungicide. No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What if your herbicide was easy to mix and tough for weeds to resist? Anthem Flex Herbicide from FMC offers the most effective mode of action for spring and winter wheat, delivering long-lasting control of grasses and broadleaf weeds, including Italian ryegrass, rat-tail fescue, and downy brome, plus weeds typically resistant to glyphosate and Group 1 and Group 2 herbicides. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zeal Pro Miticide from Valent USA. 
With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, we've got Lucas with us now down in Nebraska. Lucas, how's it going? Hey, not too bad. How are you today? Doing well, doing well. You guys gearing up for harvest down there? Yeah, yep. Um, my brother actually picks seed corn, so he's out picking seed corn today, and we're just getting the combine and other things ready, so here in a couple of weeks we can start cutting beans. Outstanding. Okay, so let me ask you about the seed corn because uh, everybody's all nervous yeah. about supply issues, and I keep saying, man, seed <laughs> corn's irrigated. They're going to be fine. They know how to manage that. What are you seeing on the seed corn? Are you happy with how things are turning out? You know, um, in my area in southeast Nebraska here, I'm just um, a little bit north and east of York, Nebraska, which is a good kind of area for seed corn. We got Syngenta, Bear, and Pioneer all in this area. And we actually did get hit with some hail early on. So some seed corn fields aren't there, but these companies are pretty smart and they always have plenty of uh, risk mitigation tactics. So that I know they got other um, states like Iowa helping bring that supply up. So it shouldn't be too bad. But overall, we had good pollination weather. We had really good uh, pollination for that fact for the corn that is standing and it should be a decent year. Excellent, excellent. I just came through your area. I was out uh, out by Wood River and uh, then headed back towards Lincoln here just a couple of days ago. And I know what you mean. Boy, that hail was what a storm they that you guys oh. had down there. Oh, terrible. Yeah, I, I I heard in Seward, Nebraska, which is just a little bit south of us, um, the hail was literally going straight with the winds uh, when it came through in June, and it it did a number. <laughs> on some local businesses and definitely on the field. It stripped bark off of trees. It was crazy. Wow. All right. Well, you talk about the soybeans, and I know some guys had replant soybeans, and honestly, I looked at yep. some of the replants. They looked pretty good. You know, honestly, we're pretty lucky in this area that the crop has held on for as long as what it did, um, especially for some water um, that we have not seen. I think our real last measurable rain was probably around that July, second week of July, maybe July 10th, if I was looking back at records right. And since then, we've, we've maybe got a quarter inch here or just enough to get the concrete wet. And 
yeah, the replant beans are going well right now. We're finishing up a cu last couple passes with some pivots on those replant beans, and the dry land's starting to abort some pods. So hopefully, hopefully we can catch a rain here and maybe save some of those um, pods. But it's probably done for us in this area. Now, one one comment that that a lot of farmers were having down there seemed to be about rootworms. That there's a lot of rootworm pressure out in some of those fields this year, and um, what have, what's been your experience? I know with the seed corn, of course, you got a lot more management going on yeah. there too with with hybrids that are or inbreds, I should say, out there that maybe aren't quite as tough. <laughs> uh, just to be kind, not not quite as tough as hybrids, or or if you just want to say they're absolutely terrible and a nightmare, I guess that'd probably be more <laughs> accurate. Uh, what, what's been your experience of that? How do you manage around rootworm? Definitely, definitely, we're using some infro insecticide at the beginning of the year. Um, that's been one of our best uh, modes of treatment um, when it comes to that. Um, this last year, I've been using a little bit of Fortenza on some of our beans, actually, to help control the seed corn maggot, which is one of those other things that after seed corn and uh, doing a rotation, we have some of those problems uh, within the soil. But definitely those infro insecticides are helping keep some of those pressures away for us. All right. The other question I had for you around the seed corn is, so we're harvesting here. It's the first week of September. Does a cover crop go back in those fields or are you limited on what you yeah. can do in those fields later on? Yeah. So there's kind of in seed corn country where we're at, everybody kind of uses a different option. <laughs> it seems like so. Someone were destroying those male rows here um, with the fields they're going in with um, a cover crop on the back of the destroyer itself. Some are even coming back with um, a boom type system where they're air seeding on in each individual row. And then us, we like to use an airplane um, to seed our cover crop even after that and then be able to water it in. So it's actually pretty awesome to see a lot of farmers around here um, using cover crop. It makes excellent cattle feed during the winter. Those cows will go after it and search for those turnips and radishes and really, really actually dig through the snow. So it's really nice to see that adoption here and the soil health really is pretty good. You know, sometimes during seed corn harvest, maybe not this year, um, we'll get a little bit of rain and that really holds that soil together. So yeah, cover crops are really, really well used um, when it comes to seed corn production. Yeah, it's pretty interesting to see how those practices change over time. And I, I like the trend that we're on, no doubt about that. Well, Lucas, great talking oh, to yeah. you here. I know you guys are busy. Good luck here with the seed corn harvest and, and uh, stay safe here coming up. we got some soybeans that will be ready to go soon. Yeah, appreciate it. Have a good rest of your day. You bet. You too. Uh, I get Brian on with us again. Uh, Brian had a couple of questions that came in that I thought you'd be interested in. Uh, one came in from S.A. who says, guys, we've got a pH that's up around nine. And in the meantime, while we're working on that, we've got phosphorus that we're kind of short on. Just to get by this next couple of years as we get working on this pH, how would you recommend that we manage our phosphorus uh, and get it into the crop? Banding is the way to go, and that way you should hopefully prevent some of that from getting tied up. But in a 9 pH, yeah, that's terrible. But I'm, I would just encourage you to look at the whole soil test. So do you have soil test results from him? Or is no, this just I a don't. Straight out question. Straight out okay. question. Yeah. yeah, we'd like to see what the soil tests say and try to figure out, okay, what's really going on here? Is it excess sodium? Is this a sodic soil? I, I mean, where's the, where's the real problem? But it, it, let's just, just as a general statement, when we have a very high pH, typically banding phosphorus is going to pay. 
All right, thanks for the question. Uh, get this one in. This is kind of an interesting uh, drain tile one, Brian. This comes in from Stan, and he said, okay, guys, we've got an artesian well, and we want to use tile lines to sub-irrigate. Just curious your thoughts about this. We want to put risers in in our pattern tile so we can fill in the tile lines with water as needed during the growing season to raise our water table. We've got tile at 24 inches deep, and we've, we're in a grid pattern 15 to 20 feet apart uh, between the lines. Our main concern is growing roots growing into those tile lines. Just curious, if you ever heard anybody that's doing this, we're just doing it on five acres just to see if it's going yeah. to work. Yes. So, yes, that absolutely can work. I would just say in terms of the question, roots growing into those tile lines, yeah, you're going to get roots growing in there. Every single year, that's going to happen for sure. I mean, unless you have massive compaction out there. But as long as you're raising annual crops, it's not going to be a real big deal for you because those roots are going to die out. Plus, when you flush water through, especially if you put a ton of water through, that's going to help, you know, push those along. But worst case scenario is you have roots that get hung up in there, then dirt gets hung up in there, and pretty soon your tie lines start to plug. There are companies out there who can run... Basically, it's, it's kind of like a, a roto-rooter. I mean, like, literally go in there and, and get it cleaned out. So that can be done. But, yeah, I mean, you could certainly give that a try. It takes a lot of water if you're going to irrigate that way because to raise a whole water table up, um, it's, well, it just, like I say, it just takes a lot of water. But, yes, it can be done. Right. Thanks for that question. Okay. Got this one in, Brian, from M10, who said, guys, you've talked about Paraquat products being very dangerous. Can you talk to us about that? What level of danger is there if we choose to use this one in our burn down rather than Roundup? Well, it's the human safety factor. Paraquat's about as dangerous as gasoline, but most people don't seem to care about gasoline because they pump it in their car every day without using any personal protective equipment at all. They put an artificial smell in most Paraquat formulations, so when you smell it, you know, ooh, I'm breathing this stuff in, i got to get away. But there are a lot of people now that will use it with a closed handling system, and that's, that's a good thing. If you're using a good farm sprayer, then typically you've got triple filtration in there, and so I'm not, like, super worried about it if you're spraying it and you're using great caution and the personal protective equipment and everything. You should be fine. But we just don't want anybody doing something dumb. Yeah, thanks for the question. That's it's always a smart move to ask those questions up front before you start using anything like that. So uh, appreciate that. Just be yeah, be super careful uh, if you're using Paraquat for your. But yeah, safety. there are people that have used. Yeah, but there are people that have used Paraquat all over the world just fine in farm situations. Just follow the label, do the right things, use your personal protective equipment. And you're going to be okay. Well, thanks to everyone who called in to the show today. We really enjoyed the conversation. It's always, always learning, and it's fun to hear what's going on around uh, as we get close to harvest, too. Uh, and thanks to everyone who emailed in questions as well. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.